Hello, and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play and musical written since 1918. So you don't have to. Was that song the best selling song of 1976? It was. Wings. Yeah. We didn't have any Beatles. I think they were probably had some years where they didn't give prizes. I mean, this is just the Billboard top song. They they gave. No, I mean, I think the Beatles had the best-selling song in like '64 or something in a year oh, that the Pulitzer. I think there's also like it could be like I think there was a bunch of years where the Beatles were like three, four, five. Right. It's just a little surprising that Paul McCartney had. I didn't know anything about. This is like very. Um, this is gay culture. I only know that song from its usage in Elephant Love Medley from Moulin Rouge. Oh. <laughs> uh, Satine goes, you think that people would have had a house? And then he goes, I look around me and say it isn't so, no. And then they're dancing on the elephant. Great. Um, but like I said, my name is Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher, um, musical theater lover and uh, theater enthusiast. And um, I am joined by the um, Scrooge of the American Musical Theater, uh, <laughs> London. Oh, <laughs> uh, and uh, the American Musical Theater's favorite baby boy, John Rosenberg. Oh, dear. Um, and uh, today we are talking about 1976 um, Pulitzer Prize winning musical, uh, musical, uh, a chorus line. Um, for those of you keeping track at home, let's see, we had a V.I. Sing, we had South Pacific, we had Fiorello, we had um, Have Succeed, and now we have a chorus line. So this is the fifth musical, um, sort of the sixth if you count Oklahoma, um, uh, that we will be talking about. Um, and that always makes me very happy. Um, uh, Christopher, would you give us a summary? <laughs> oh god um so it takes place in i don't know uh a bunch of dancers it's called uh, an audition uh, so before, auditioning yeah it's called an audition christopher <laughs> casting couch right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a bunch of dancers are auditioning for a Broadway musical. They are auditioning to be the chorus line, to be not the stars, but the dancers. And um, they do some dance numbers. And uh, <laughs> they do combination. this is like, this is, I, God. Okay, this is be a spin-off episode where we get like a little drunk, or I guess, sorry, John, uh, where John watches us get a little drunk and Chris describes in detail the stages, like the process of putting on a musical, like what <laughs> he thinks happens. Uh, yeah, so through the, the director, Zach, asks the people about, the, about themselves, and they sing about themselves. And uh, <laughs> then at the end, he chooses four of them. 
I think there's more than four of them. There's just four. Oh, four, eight, four boys, four girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that is it. It is like I think delightfully, it is delightfully simple in its um, in its conceit. Um, there's a bunch of sort of apocryphal stories of how a chorus line came to be. Um, Was it from an audition for a chorus line? <laughs> no. Uh, so Michael Bennett, he um, he had had a couple. He had worked with Stephen Sondheim on Company and Follies, and he was sort of toying around with this idea for a musical about dancers. Um, and there's be sort of these like famous sessions where him and he got a bunch of like a bunch of dancers, some of whom ended up being in the show together. And they had like three or four days where they brought food and drinks, and they sort of just like told their stories. Um, um, yeah, uh, it's sort of like. And a lot of those stories ended up being sort of fictionalized into this um, into this play. Um, it, uh, I guess, sorry, I will. That's sort of the backstory. Um, another interesting sort of thing about the show is that um, for the last maybe decade or so, or since really the Great White Hope, we've there's been this like shift in how plays, um, straight plays, have been transitioned to Broadway. They've been going away from the more commercial out-of-town tryout model to coming more and more reliant on sort of non-for-profit regional theaters in New York, but also around the country. Um, and this is the first time a musical like took that route. Um, it was off-Broadway first. Yeah, it ran. I was looking at this. It's so interesting, like, just because, um, so it ran to the public from like April to July. It was a huge hit. Um, there's like a story of like Liza Minnelli getting standing room only tickets. Um and then like closed July 10th at the public and opened by the end of July at the Broadhurst. No, sorry, at the Schubert Theater um, where it ran for like 15 years. Um, yeah, 15 years. Yeah, so this is the, this is, this was for a very long time, the longest running Broadway show. Fucking hell. Um, um, <laughs> now it's cats, right? Uh, the of the Fantasy. Opera. Um, it was the longest running American musical until the revival of Chicago surpassed it. And then I think what about the one that I did a bio. Of, uh, so it's the, it was the Pippen. longest running original American, original production of American musical till Wicked overtook Wicked. it. All right. This Wicked. is like really like, this is like, now I get like, this is like me being really into like baseball stats. Um, right. Oh for musical theater. Um, but I still think it's interesting and it's like worth noting that um, this was such a windfall for the public, you know, like this funded so much weird shit that they did, the public theater in New York did um, because it was such a hit. Um, they were like producers of the Broadway one. Yeah, and that's a model that's like, that's, you know, um, the public produced Hamilton. Um, the public produced Fun Home. That's a, uh, it's very, very common for Nonprofit theaters to mount their productions on Broadway now, um, and you know, and in fact, there's like there are not-for-profit Broadway houses, uh, which wasn't a thing at this time. Um, but um, a chorus line, uh, so yeah, it's very simple. Um, it is a stage. It is dancers. There are some mirrors. Um, there's no intermission. Uh, yeah, I like that. There's no overture. There's no curtain call. Um, it, it's the length of an audition. Um, 
a sort of bizarre audition. Um, yeah, pretty bizarre audition. And it, it, I mean, it, and it was, a, I think it's hard to oversell like what a hit it was. Um, why? Tell me why. Why was this? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, can we first talk about Josh, what you like about this show? I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, why don't we talk about why you what you like about the show? Because I feel like I, I know you have some affection for it. And me? Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, uh, right. Like, I, you know, I, I feel like coming into like consciousness is like uh, as a young person, you know, like my mom was a drama teacher. So like there was like stuff about it, like in my house, like in books and all that. But set that aside like the play is very 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 good like just looking at it you know just reading it it's a it's a very good play like structurally it is so fucking good and i think it does something very interesting because i was thinking about this like what like the magnetic draw of it like there's something so beautiful about the play starts with like them learning a quick dance number. And I feel like what they do to the audience then, it's like something that the audience picks up. I didn't realize it because I was very familiar with the chorus line, but like structurally, it's a very beautiful play. And like, just like, it gives the audience something to chew on, like the, the dance number and the rehearsal of it. It's done very, very well. And there's no pretense to it. Um, and I think the play does shift when you start reading about, you know, you start learning about the characters and who they are and all that stuff. Like the play shifts in a sense. And it's, it's an interesting shift in that way. I think it is interesting that like, like this is probably for the most part, the first real examination of like either gay characters or also like, like I think within the world of theater, it seems like it was very, very, very honest and modern. Um, and it really cut a, it cut a wide swath across people. Um, so I think I think the play gets weird with the Cassie thing, like her with the director. Like that. There, that's so weird. the only so sorry, I'll pause. The only like real plot, like the show is very unplotty in that you're just sort of hearing these characters talk about their lives or what brought them to theater, or and sometimes just like sometimes numbers will just sort of be like an examination of a theme like growing up or um ballet and in these moments you sort of get these like pictures into these characters psyche with the exception that there is this like uh cassie is a former broadway dancer who had like featured dance parts with zach made it big sort of tried to make it in hollywood tanked and is coming back sort of failed and is now just trying to get a a job in the chorus line with her former lover um, and director Zach. Yeah, so it definitely it definitely gets a little weird there. But to me, Christopher, I think the reason why this play is so powerful, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the mirrors. And like I remember this when I was a kid, being in my mom's bathroom, and she would have like mirrors behind mirrors, and it creates like that feeling of infinity. And there's something about this play that really is about entertainment and the infinity of like the moment that I think is very, very, very powerful. And also like, uh, 
quixotic and it must have felt so good in like the mid 70s like it's very navel gazy it's very um processy it's very dirty and honest like it purports itself to be these things but the beauty of it is tricks and mirrors it does for it it's just done very very fucking well and the music is good the songs aren't pretentious um they really make fun of like actors they make fun of like it's 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 very very good you know but like there's something to me about mirrors and like it's it nothing else matters it's only like the play within the play within the play within the play and it just it becomes this infinity that people just want the romance of it that they want to live in and then for the play to start with the like you learn the dance steps to the fucking show and then it closes with those fucking steps, but bigger, it makes the audience feel like they're a part of it and that they know it. And it's fucking unbeatable like that. You give them a taste at the beginning. You make them forget about it. You watch the rehearsal. You're like, Oh, I can't do this. It's too much. And then you see the splendor. You can't beat that. It's too fucking good. Yeah, I wonder, almost wonder, like, as you're talking about this and as I'm thinking about it, it's like, it's almost, in some ways, it's like, did they know how smart it was going to land as they were writing it? Um, And I say that because I think that there's, like, things that are, like, so you have immediate stakes, right? You have an audition and people are going to get cast and you have a number and you know that the people you are meeting are, like, you know that half of them are not going to get what they want, half of them will. That's inherently interesting. Um, but the also, sorry, the interesting thing is you have heightened stakes, but then you show how nervous all the actors are. Mm-hmm. So it undercuts any idea of pretension. It right. undercuts their position. It makes them smaller. You know, the audience is like, look at these motherfuckers, or I understand. Like, it's just done very, very, very well. Well, and also I think that, like, the things that we're examining in them are really not the things that are going to be what gets them the part or not. You know, like, I don't think like we really know who's the better dancer or what is going on. And like, it's sort of like, we just are spending time with these people in a stressful two hours, knowing that their lives are about to like. Are we supposed to care whether they get the part or not? I, I think so. I mean. I think what happens is to think that the right people get the part. Or, no, I don't think we're supposed to think that the right people get the part. I think we're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, I don't think there's like villains. Like no one is like, oh, blah blah blah. I think there's such a wide swath of people. There's someone for you on the stage to identify with. Yeah. No matter who you are, you Do know. You so like, with? what's that? You identify with Zach? <sighs> no, but I mean, I remember when I was like 17. I forget who I super like identified with but had a boner for three days maybe i thought it was funny and i was like still a virgin then so like i had no idea what was going on but like i think just looking at it critically just like structurally and how it goes about its business it's so fucking good to me um i mean i think what else i was gonna say is i think it um it gives the audience like a taste of like being in the know yeah like, right so especially if you're like seeing a, like if you're seeing three shows 
on vacation. I don't know. Maybe this is not the model of how theater worked at the time. But like, I can see you seeing, you know, two shows that year. The first show you see is a chorus sign. The next show you see someone else. You like feel like you have a little bit of insight into this world that you're clearly interested enough in to buy tickets to. Um, I think also given it's such a like, there is this thing happening in musicals. Like there are these like backstage musicals happening. Um, Michael Bennett, who wrote the conceived of it, also did a Stephen Sondheim musical called Follies, which is all about sort of the like these aging Follies girls from the 1940s and like sort of what happened to these like uh, vaudeville chorus girls. You have um, coming up, you have Dream Girls, which is also Michael Bennett. Um, but like backstage musicals, backstage like stories, right? I was just watching All About Eve. Like those are sort of like part of like the American theatrical tradition, the American cinematic tradition, like people are interested in what goes on behind the curtain of a theater. Um, I mean, it, uh, it did, it does always seem a bit navel gazy to me. I guess people are interested in it though, the behind the magic, what the magician is doing. And I, it's a little like a writer writing a novel about a novelist, but. I mean, I think that's the thing is, the, I mean, I, and I wonder. No, but so, sorry, but the difference is, I think, I dig what you're saying, Chris, and like, but the difference is what we get is we don't get process. We don't get the, mm -hmm. the uh, writer coming up with a song, you know, like getting into a fight with his gal and coming up with a, like a jingle or something like that. No, it's like, nicely prosaic, um, as in all. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it doesn't have the stars. It doesn't have the. It's done right. It's the, done very well. Like it sidesteps all of the, like pratfalls of that stuff. It gets a little tenuous with like Cassie and the director. Yeah, but that's a weird one. I guess it needed some kind of love, maybe, or some kind of like connection. Well, the the director anyone. the director has to be the director has to have a heart. Otherwise, you start to like hate him. You know what I mean. Well, and it can't all be, it can't all, they can't all be dancers. I mean, like, like Cassie's the only one going in the other direction, right? Yeah, there has to be that, yeah. Like that tension of, and I, and I think that, um, and I think that's like, that's such an interesting moment. So Cassie like has this song, Music in the Mirror, and she's saying that she just wants to dance. She doesn't care if she's like, all she wants to do is dance. And then she's auditioning and uh, she like can't, or we're led to believe in the script that she can't like fit in with the other chorus members. Like she's just too good um, or she's just too sharp or she's just too like, she naturally draws attention to herself. And then the director sort of like progressively gets more and more agitated and sort of makes her mute herself. Um, and again, for, I guess for that director, it's heartbreaking to watch her sort of dampen her star. But the idea that like, I think that's what's so interesting and Chris, have you seen, like, have you, like, have you, did you watch any of it? Like, do you have any idea of how this looks in your head? I don't have any idea how it looks. No, I only listened to it and read the script. Because it has a very, like, I feel like this is a show that sort of has a very iconic look. Like, I don't know how much directors really can, like, tweak it or change it. Like, in the, in, on my copy of my script, there's, like, this lineup of actors, all of the pose, and I feel like even... Like the idea of like all of them having a pose they come to is like very like done. But that final number one, they're all in these sort of like 
gold matching suits with hats and they it's just all very precise and you sort of lose them and i think and even the number right like they're repeating this idea of like one 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 we're one we're one uh, uh, um it's like they just went through this whole ordeal and then they're totally anonymous right you like spend an hour and a half like learning about how these people are different learning about how these people have histories and stories and how in some ways how heartbreaking it is that like what they want to do what they love to do flattens all that on stage um and then for someone who loves musical theater or even likes it or has a passing interest to see it more than once how when you go see a musical when you see these sort of faceless chorus members who don't really get a chance to do things that are differentiate like differentiate themselves and in fact are often choreographed and directed to very much like blend in that they do all have these really interesting stories i think that is like it's not you know um super revelatory but it's like an interesting thing to remember it's something that like the theater doesn't hasn't really explored up to this point i think you know the story of like chorus girls and <laughs> is very like flighty and silly and like fun um but the sort of the blood and sweat and like uh the fact that these are all like working class broke people trying to like make it in 1970s new york I think that's like, that's something that's, that's interesting. Um, but I think the important thing too is like, this to me is the most American play because it's all an illusion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's, this is like a multi-million dollar juggernaut, but like what it presents and that's, that's the danger and beauty of it. You know what I mean? To me. But I don't know if they knew that. I mean, at the time it was an off pro. I mean, I think that's sort of, this is like, we'll come to this again with rent, right? of like what that what that ended with and what that started as or like but this started as a as a sh as a show at the public the public didn't do musicals like this you know it sort of i mean michael bennett had some broadway credits um marvin hamlish had some credits but like none of the other people are 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 big names none of the stars went on to like really do much else mm -hmm. uh, like i think it has pretty modest beginnings and even though it did become this sort of like this brand and the wave of like Les Mis and Cats and Fan of the Opera, like it survived sort of that period of Broadway. I think it has more heart than that and a little more grit. Yeah, you know, to me, it's like, uh, I don't mean it as a, uh, I don't mean it as a criticism. Mm. Like, uh, it was just written and designed so well yeah. that like, it's not a glitzy show about, right. Like stars, like backstage follies. It's not like noises off or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just done so fucking well. And like, um, and I feel like America just loves something like this in the mid seventies, you know, like there's something funny about working class, but they're all actors. <laughs> like it's not, they're not like, you know, seamstresses in like, you know, a textile mill in like 1800s. But, but I think the important thing is this is the most American fucking show. And to me, this is like, this is like during the bicentennial, like this to me, this is the most American show I've ever seen. And to me, like, if we were to send something into outer space to be like, this is America, 
it would be this show. Oh God, please. Um, and I will say one more thing, um, and then um, Chris will give you your. You look, you're in agony in the upper right corner of my screen. Um, and I do think, like, and this is the argument that you and I, Chris, will have for all time around, like, what the Pulitzer and musical theater, like, what what is their relationship to each other? Um, and I will say, like, a thing the Pulitzer does, I think, really neatly with the shows that they have selected is you do have, like, shows that show how the art, the specific art form of musical theater is changing. Um, like, this did something with the American musical that hadn't really been done. You know, the idea of a concept musical sort of happened with company, but this takes it like in a very different direction. This is using very real stories. This is using um, sort of like the fact of a musical as sort of the way it like gets around the artifice of like singing and dancing. Um, and I think that like its legacy is really far reaching. Um, so um, I will also say though, I do think that it is a bit of a case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Um, and I do think that um, at least on all the, like Michael Bennett was part of that, got a Pulitzer and he conceived it and choreographed it, but didn't you know, write it, but he still got credit for that. So I think mm -hmm. that like having to think about like, like, I think this is a show that's very hard to separate out pure text. Um, and I think the music is good, not great. I think the lyrics are funny and sometimes irreverent and sometimes poignant. Um, you know, it's not like, we'll get to Stephen Sondheim the next time we get to this and his lyrics wreck me. Um, I think the book gets us where we need to go. I think none of the act, like I said, none of the actors really like blew off from this. Um, no, no, there's no, no one needs to be an exceptional singer, really. No, I mean, in the recording, they're frankly not. Um, <laughs> they're okay. Um, I mean, then there's the one character who can't sing. Um, but I think given all that, there's something, it's like, even with all of that, I think it's still like, when you put it together, it is something that is like really, um, really incredible. Oh, um, I didn't hate it. <laughs> I, I started reading and I was like, this, what, this is, what is this? This isn't any good. Um, but um, I think I was taking it too seriously at the beginning. And when I, um, when I started to enjoy the fun of it, it is like a fun, it's a comedy. Basically, I mean, not laugh out loud moments very often, but it's tongue in cheek. It's it's funny. It's a, um, and when I started to appreciate that, I appreciated it more. Um, nothing. I don't care about anyone. None of the stories are well told. The book is, it's hopelessly shallow in in both plot and in character and all of that. The and and I like it ends. They get they cast. I didn't. I couldn't quite remember who was who and whether I should care and about who got cast. Cassie got cast. The one guy gets hurt, 
Um, I don't know that they have a couple uh, non-white characters who like always introduce themselves as I'm so-and-so I'm black. I'm so-and-so I'm Puerto Rican. Like, does that have to be said on the stage or the Chinese lady? I don't know. Um, I like that uh, story about the, the homosexual um, discovering that when he, he's like making out with a lady in the, in school bus and touching her breasts. And she's like, would you like to touch anything else? And he's like, ah, no, actually, no. But that felt somewhat real. And the music, I don't know. There's so many musical parts. I was waiting for them to do something interesting with harmonies and they didn't mostly. There was um, in the met, there's like a middle section, like it's called the montage melody. And I thought that was somewhat theatrically, dramatically interesting the way, like uh, uh, picking up one storyline and uh, classic like comedy, they would almost complete a sentence with the beginning of another storyline. And that worked um, musically in a way in that they could. They could make that harmony melody and oversing each other. And that one song was quite a, a um, earworm, the uh, um, one singular sensation. I'm pretty sure I've heard that before. I'm sure you have. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. So it's fine. But like to hear you guys being like, this is incredible to know it went for 15 years. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. What would you know, the funny thing is, if this guy saw it live, he'd cry and he'd fall in love with one of the dancers. Do you know what I mean? You would have an emotional connection to this show that, like, it would kill you. Um, I don't know about that. I think if I saw it, I was thinking about this. Um, um, like, last week we read Seascape. And for that, I, like, reading it, and I feel like watching it, I wouldn't be all that, I wasn't all that engaged reading it. I'm not sure I would be all that engaged watching it, but I came out of it with a lot to think about. And I more think this, I would go see the Broadway show and watching it, I would be totally engaged and like into it and having fun, enjoying it. If, if I could make my heart be not so dead to it, but I think most people that you would go and you would spend that hour and a half or however long and that would be fun and you would leave and you'd have like go to the diner on Times Square and, and like what did you think of the show? I was like, yeah, that was fun and have like nothing to discuss about it. Like, no, what does that mean? Like, okay, let's, let's have a drink and I'm glad we had a night out in New York. Yeah, no, it's like, it's part of like the pyramid like it's like you were one of them like it's it's to me it's an it's like an it's an experiential play i don't feel like there's anything like there's no morality tale to it there's no like uh there's no questioning the system like these are all like they all just want to be in the background and it's like they're all anonymous and it makes it very dramatic and very simple but like um yeah, it's like it's it's a to me it's a feeling. It's not really like a a conversation afterwards. I also I I think I'm I I think I wonder. I think I sometimes wonder a lot actually. 
is um, like theater, the world of theater fans is smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and, um, and is often populated by people who really loved it as kids and wanted to do it or like it, you know, it's very rare that like someone my age just like likes theater and has no experience being a part of it. Um, yeah, I'm pretty rare in that. I mean, I'm now somewhat involved in writing about it, but in my twenties, I was like, I just liked it and that was unusual. And I think there's something that is so, I mean, depending on when you hit this, but like I was watching this at like, you know, 10, 11, 12, wanting to be one of those dancers and just being like, oh, isn't this the coolest job in the world? <laughs> um, and I don't know, I can't like separate that from myself. I, I, this, is a, this show is incredibly nostalgic to me um, and deeply entwined in like, in my, in my life. Um, I think that like, to your point, um, I think many, if not all of the characters are like, a little stock. Um, some of them are very stock. Um, the stories that they tell about themselves, like that's not how people talk. And it, it's very much like, this is almost a character description more than like a, a, a um, someone describing themselves. Like, right, I'm, but I, but I, I think- Italian American I think family. Well, I, I think it's to be that. Uh, sure, but- Great. So actually, um, a friend of ours, she was actually in a chorus line. You she know was in like her role? Yeah, so actually, it's our friend Deborah. She was in it, and I asked her about her experience, and she actually wrote me an email about it. And I was wondering if I could share it, which she said about it. Yeah. All right, so hold on one second. So um, some of this we already touched upon, but I think she, she was very excited to kind of talk about it. She said, um, so I asked her, I was like, what do you think makes this show work? And uh, she said, A Chorus Line was the first show that showed the world what it was really like to be in the chorus of a Broadway show. The show was built around real stories and experiences of dancers that Michael Bennett knew. And those characters were sometimes hilarious, sometimes tragic, and they all felt very real. Probably because they were real. It was the first show that unapologetically heightened or highlighted the gay experience the struggle of being an aging dancer, different cultural experiences, the fear of injury and a career ending on a dime and much, much more. No one had done that before. Why it works is because of the writing. The writing is tight, smart, and relatable. You don't have to do much more than read the lines to have a good performance. And the dancing was wonderful too. I asked her, who did you play? She was a swing for Cassie, or she said, I was a swing for Cassie and Sheila. The role of Cassie really spoke to me because I was going through a career transition from company work to theater. It was about the same age as the character Cassie. The role is intense and exhausting. It was an honor to play Cassie. And Sheila was dear to me because of her background story that you learned through the song at the ballet. Besides that song, Sheila was just super fun to play. So I asked her, what was it like to be in it? She said, I was on the 1997-98 bus and truck tour of a chorus line. It was the first non-equity chorus line tour to hit the road. We had the same equity costume sets and smaller directors, but we were uh, at smaller houses for shorter stays. It was, it was a hall. Um, 
She had the honor of working with Bjork Lee and Tommy Walsh, two of the original cast members and their input and direction was invaluable. Um, it was an incredible experience. As a swing for Cassie, I had to stay in shape to get through her 12 minutes singing and dancing solo. So I was given the stage every night about 20 minutes before she curtain to run it. That kept me in shape and sane because being a swing can be rough. Waiting in the wings gets tiresome. I got to perform Cassie about 12 times and Sheila nine times. Never knew when I might go on. And the first time I did Cassie, I had to go on in the middle of the show without rehearsal for this certain scene because the actress felt ill. It was comical because I, you know, I'm five foot nine and, the, and brunette and she was five foot three and blonde. And my first Sheila experience was similar. I was told I was going on 15 minutes before curtain. I had never run the whole show with the cast. By the end of the tour, I was kind of done being a swing. It was emotionally exhausting, but being in a chorus line was a once in a lifetime experience for me. I like how that is almost like a, you know, that could be one of the dancers in the show, like telling their story in a way, right? I mean, I think that's the thing is that I, I, I mean, I think that like tropes are tropes for reason, right? And I think that that there is some commonality in dancers' experiences that I think people like come to and see themselves in the show. Um, thank you. That's yeah, so, but, that was so great. But I but I do feel like it's that piece of like for the audience outside of like middle-aged men from Britain. <laughs> it's like you're you're put in the know. Yeah. And like I become one of them. And it's also sad that like at the end, I forget who got chosen. You know what I mean? And it like, yeah. It's Cassie did and Sheila didn't of Deb's roles. There you go. I thought, yeah, I felt a little with Sheila, but I couldn't remember all the other who was who. Um, maybe what did the, the lady who had the uh, plastic surgery, did she get in? Val? Was it Val? Yeah. Let's see. It's a confusing too because they go in front and then. So we only know who didn't. It's yeah, they fool so you, don't they? They're like you people step forward and no, you Sheila think doesn't get in. Goes. So Val no, gets in. Sheila doesn't, but Cassie does. Yeah. And Val does. Val does. Yeah. Okay. Richie does. Oh, yeah. Cassie, Val, Diana, Judy, Mike, Richie, Mark, and Bobby make it. I don't remember who who all is who, but it's me. The beautiful thing is, at the end, you're better than all of them again. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you're, they become the background, and so who gives a shit about them? Like, well, I, I, I love feel that. like most. Do you ever? But I think emotionally. Like it does, it it's it's done emotionally very very well, and it's very manipulative. And like, I dig what you're saying that they're like kind of sketchy, or do you know what I mean? You really don't get emotionally invested in them, but like, um, they're dancers in the background, so who gives a shit? Like that to me is the cynicism of it. That's really great. Can I read the the final stage directions? Because I. This was a thing I like really loved and like I thought was like you don't get from watching necessarily. Um, lights fade on, Ra on Raquette kick line. 
After the company has exited mirror panels to black, the house lights slowly come up. After singers cut off, orchestra continues vamp phrase very loud until cut off cue from stage manager. There are no additional bows after this, leaving the audience with an image of a kick line that goes on forever. Yeah, that's it's the infinity thing, man. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like it like it exists. It's like perpetual motion thing that will just exist for forever. And like it lives like that inside of you. And it's it's really, really, so really and like you would the applause would start while they're still kind of in character doing the final dance. And like that's the applause line, is that? Yeah, there's just no there's no bows. Oh. Like there's no closure to it. It's really great. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, Chris, Chris would be Zach. Uh, I, or maybe you know, the or maybe I, the, maybe the homosexual whose experience struck you as being very real. No, you know who you know who I uh, related to. I was thinking is Larry. Yeah, you're Larry. Bro. Which one's Larry? Larry's the guy who, like, Zach tells to run his own. He's, he's like the choreographer. Or the... Yeah, he's the, he's the sleazy uh, choreographer that gets to touch all the women. Again, oh, step, kick, I didn't kick, pick up kick, on kick, that. Step, touch. Again, step, kick, 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 step, touch. Um, I want to be the one that, like, that has that fun monologue that's like, but being suicidal in Buffalo, that's redundant. That's a dumb line. I did pick up on that. Um, Can you be Val? I want to see you do tits and ass. Dance 10 looks three. Um, that's a silly song. And I, I don't know. How does that land now? Is that? I think that character still is like funny and fun. I mean, she's empowered. Um, mm. In my high school, they changed to this and that. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's done good. Yeah, and the, the copy I had, it had a lot of um, suggested changes if oh. like the cast looked different or such. Oh. Yeah. Like there's lines about appearance of the cast and it, it had appendices of like, if the actor is like this, then this is an alternate lyric or something like that. Mm. Uh, who would you be, John? No, nah, man, I just want to watch it, bro. I love this show. You'd be Larry. I mean, not Larry. Uh, Zach, definitely. Maybe you could be one of the dancers in the first scene that's, like, cut. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, I want to be she. She looks such a good part. I've sat in on, I guess not so much for for uh, John's play, but for our friend Josh's plays, we're casting with John and Josh. It was pretty much like this, wasn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not quite. No. Mine's way more abusive. Uh, I, mean, no. I will say, I, like, I do think that, like, it's the stakes that propel you because, like, it doesn't make, like, the, the central premise, I will say, of, like, you're going to play parts. I got to get to know you, the real you. Um, but like I'm a sucker for that it works in my favorite movie of all time Showgirls and it works in uh, Chorus Line um, isn't Showgirls the one about 
The strippers? Yeah, it's so good. I have a showgirl tattoo. Oh. Where is it? Um it's on uh, these palm trees right here. Um, that's showgirls? Yeah, I mean it's like a very niche reference. Um when uh Kyle McLaughlin and uh Elizabeth Berkeley have sex in the pool, there's four neon palm trees behind them. Oh yeah, man. It's pretty niche then. It's pretty niche. Um however, like a couple times, whenever like it's happened to me like maybe three or four times, someone's been like, Are those the showgirls palm trees? Really? And I'm like, Yes, they are. When I was what? younger, I was like very jealous that Kyle McLaughlin got paid to be in that movie. He's um He's the guy from um what's it? Mulholland. He's the guy from Showgirls. Twin Peaks, um, Desert Housewives, Blue Velvet, Holland Drive. Yeah. I feel like Chris was seeing Showgirls and like he was like like reps the like whatever that wolf, like the foot tapping and the like ah, ah. <laughs> I'm thinking it wasn't like boobies. Yeah. <laughs> That's my impression of all straight men. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's not straight men. Krista, Krista, like movies. Don't forget that. Oh, don't like movies, but do like boobies. Movies too. Uh, this has devolved. Um, next week we are reading um, the Shadow Box. Um, by Michael Christopher, which I've never heard of. I started reading it yesterday, um, and I'm excited about it. Um, and then in a few short uh, weeks, we will be um, talking about like my literal favorite musical of all time. So, what's that? Sunday in the Park with George. Oh yeah, what year does that win? It's like '84, '86. I think, I think, I think that's the one. Like, if we're going to get you in any of these, I think that's the one. I think I have um, progressed from, I would maybe have said I hate musicals to be like, I don't like musicals. I think musicals are improv. But Sunday in the Park with George, I think. Improv is worse. Improv is I think here is my prediction for Sinister George. I think John is going to really hate it. Oh, yeah. And I think you're made <laughs> to really like it. Yeah. Is that is it Sunday? It's Sondheim. It's very thoughtful. It's very like I think there is a I think it's I think it is very I saw the he did uh, the the demon butcher, right? Yeah, he did. I saw that and it was okay. His two like the sort of the two like bit like I think it's your two sort of like tentpole like masterpieces are Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the Park with George. I don't know if you heard, but he died recently. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Um, all right. Um, all right. Well, we didn't play any songs from the show. It's just fine. Um, hey. you know, the copyright lawyers are really breathing down our necks. We don't want to. Singular sensation. The, oh, the, the, little the, step. Yeah. She takes. One. One. Oh, okay. Um, oh, all right. Uh, let's You'd think the world would have had enough of silly love songs. All right. Uh, say goodnight, everyone.